Hey Milo, we've talked about crime a bit on this podcast, but I'd really like to listen to a good true crime podcast. You wouldn't happen to know of any, would you? Of course I do. The one I've been listening to recently and love is called The Midwest Crime Files. The show is hosted by Gina and Chris, and they focus on small town crimes in the Midwest. And since it's unscripted, you get to hear their takes on the crimes. And each episode is on a different crime, so it's not like some of those other true crime podcasts where you have to listen to an entire season for one crime. Each episode is something new. Sounds great, bro. Where do I listen? Search for the Midwest Crime Files on any podcast player such as Apple or Spotify, or visit them on the web at the MidwestCrimeFiles.com. Welcome to another fun and exciting episode of the 80s and 90s Uncensored. I am Milo Dennison. And I'm Jamie Fenderson. And today we're talking about 80s teen movies with our new buddy, Joe Corey. It's me. <laughs> yeah, that's you, dude. I'm Joe Corey. Thank you. Hey, Joe. You are. Welcome to the show, bro. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So first, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us about these books that you just showed us before we started recording. Um, my name is Joe Corey. I've done a bunch of odd things over the decades. Uh, everything from if you ever saw the show Split Screen on Independent Film Channel back in the late 90s, I made two episodes for it. Uh, one was about... Uh, educational films from the 50s and 60s and 70s and somebody's giant collection of it and then the other one was uh about a uh, classmate who won the student academy award for a film about a rural dog catcher and the big key thing was bob barker liked the film so much he did the intro from the prices right set for us free you know just like is this what's gonna work for you guys and he sent it to us and it was amazing and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I recently did a series, Danger Health Films, which stars the cowboy from the village people, Randy Jones, uh, <laughs> talking about the bad lessons of educational films. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Rand, Randy and I both went to the North Carolina School of the Arts, and that's how we, we met through the alumni stuff, which was kind of fun. Plus, I, he's from Raleigh. I, I live in Raleigh. And I made fun one time about how I was living in his shadow uh, for all the various things that we have in common. And he wrote me back and was like, I didn't know I was doing this to you. And that's how we started uh, communicating with each other. And he's a fantastic guy. And uh, here, here's your odd piece of trivia. He is a Moorhead scholar at UNC, which is like one of the top public school scholarships. Very established academic, which is kind of cool. So the, the, the guy is like an erudite cowboy, like well-spoken super scholarly cowboy from the village people. <laughs> That's cool. So tell us about your books, man. Yeah, I've been reading them. They're a lot of fun. They're, <laughs> they're a lot of fun. What, 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 how'd you come up with these? Okay. Well, the, the two books are uh, Obscure, ObscureCon presents the 80s teen flick festival guidebook. And then we also made uh, 80s teen flick festival reunion. Uh, it's they're fake guidebooks to fake film festivals that I started when the pandemic happened because the film festivals and the movie theaters I was going to all got shut down. Uh -oh. And so I'm sitting there just staring at the TV going, I, I should do something. I, I should do something. And, but I didn't want, I, I didn't feel like I could focus on a massive long writing project. And I was like, maybe I should do a film festival guidebook. Cause I always like those, but do it in my way. You know, so I'm giving you a, a curated film festival of, you know, eighties movies 
I, I started pulling out odd essays that could be everything from trying to give you behind the scenes context, looking deeper into how something happened. Um, and then there's some other odd little autobiography parts that get in there. My favorite uh, from just a remembrance point is uh, for my bodyguard, I talk about the night I accidentally became James Taylor's bodyguard when he was performing at NC State and how freakishly bizarre that was because I refused to let his mom backstage. <laughs> She's like, no, really, I'm his mom. And you're like, do you got a pass? He's like, no, oh, yeah. I'm his mom. I don't need a no pass. pass. No, no entry, lady. Pass. <laughs> I think, I think if, you're, if you're not familiar with 80s films or you know slightly some of them, it, I, I try to set it up so the, the movies build on each other. All right. So that you're not just, you know, because I think, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff of 80s films have gotten just reduced down to the John Hughes movies. And that's it. It's like, well, we've got John Hughes movies. We've got 80s movies. It's like, no, as, as I got deep into 80s teen movies, there are hundreds, it feels yeah. like, of these films. I mean, they were making them, you know, so at least every other week there was another film starring a teenager coming out. Well, let's get into the subject of teen flicks then. We are each brought a couple of teen flicks from the 80s that we are going to share. So, Joe, since you are the guest, uh, let's let you go first. What is your first choice for uh, 80s teen flick? My first choice is Porky's. And it's a film which gets, has been demeaned for decades. When 16 Candles came out, the first thing they wanted to say, the critics wanted to say was, oh, John Hughes made this heartwarming, wonderful story, not like that evil Porky's that your kids <laughs> saw. And yet here's the interesting thing. Porky's is the same as 16 Candles. <laughs> 16 Candles, if you know it, it's a story about Farmer Ted, this loser freshman who ends up getting the homecoming queen or wherever she is, the rich posh girl, drunk and sexually attacks her to lose his virginity. <laughs> Whereas in Porky's, it's about a bunch of guys trying to lose their virginity but amazingly enough, try to do it through semi-legitimate means, you know, and uh, it's, it's a nicer film. It's more heartwarming. But 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 we remember it as some sort of sleazy, trashy movie. Granted, you've got characters named Pee Wee and Meat because it's willing to wear it. You know, it wears its sleaziness on the outside pretty much. I mean, but it, it doesn't to, try to hide it. Right. It doesn't. It does. You know, Not like 16 shower, Candles. <laughs> no, no. 16. I mean, 16 Candles. OK. What do we think? When we think of Porky's showering a women's shower room right in the opening of 16 candles what do we have molly ringwald and her friend ogling a naked woman in a shower and going oh yeah she's mature you know but but since it's not peewee staring his little eyeball through the hole we think it's somehow classier that it's molly ringwald but everybody in the audience is seeing a good amount of showering action with the uh you know the the the, the you know the posh girl you know, especially, you know, you have Jake there, Mr. Dreamy, and you realize, wait, he just sent his drunk girlfriend, passed out girlfriend into a car with a drunk guy who already almost wrecks it gang out of the garage. So, but that's, that's, but Porky's on the other hand, Porky's, it wears it on its sleeve. Porky's isn't, deceptive. you know, the guys, sure, they're peeking through a shower. It's 1954. And nobody had to explain that all those people who got busted for that would have to be, you know, reporting to their neighbors every time they moved to inform them what they were arrested for back in the 50s. But uh, I, I, I think it's great. And it's from Bob Clark, who wrote, you know, part of it is about his experience. And Bob Clark is Mr. Christmas because he did both a Christmas story and the horror movie, uh, you know, Black Christmas. 
So he's, he's perfect for that. Plus he did from the hip with Jed Nelson, another eighties classic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good choice. It's definitely totally eighties, total teen flick and modern audiences find it completely offensive. So that's great. Uh, you want to go next, Jamie? <laughs> yeah. My, my pick is 1985's Teen Wolf starring Michael J. Fox as Scott Howard, who's a teenage basketball player in a small Nebraska town. And he's got the hots for the hottie who's with his rival, his basketball rival, even though there's this other girl, she's nice and she's got the hots for him. Right. And his life's pretty ho-hum, but then it turns out he, he's a, he's a werewolf and nothing happens to make him that way. It's more like a puberty thing where he starts growing hair and like weird places, like most pubescent kids, but like his is like a lot of hair. Cause he's a werewolf. And his dad's like, oh, yeah, it's time, bro. <laughs> You're a werewolf. Oh, he's like, what? Been meaning to tell you about this. Yeah, like, <laughs> hey, we got to have the talk now because you're a werewolf, dude. <laughs> so it turns out like he's playing basketball and he trips out and, and he turns into a werewolf. And turns out werewolves are like really good at basketball. So he's he's killing it with basketball and he's just become Mr. Popular, like the kind of kid everybody wants to be like when they're kids, like teenagers. Right. Everybody loves you. You're partying with the coolest people and all the chicks love you and you're so awesome at sports. But, you know, that comes with a downside, too. So it turns out I always just thought that it was kind of a fun kind of euphemism, like analogy for puberty. Right where you're this little fella and you, you notice like all the girls around you are like young women and you're still this little, you're still this kid. And then suddenly like, Oh, like you start growing in all these weird places and you might feel like a werewolf. Right. I always thought that was kind of a fun teen movie. Cause it's it, kind of a true where if you're a guy and you, you're, you're going through puberty, you could, I guess you could feel like a werewolf. Um, this movie made a buttload of money, even though it got mixed reviews. So only cost a, a, a million and a quarter to make it most, but it made $80 million. And then, so they made an animated television series and a sequel that starred Jason Bateman later in the eighties that didn't, wasn't as good, but I guess in the like 2010s, like 2000s, 2010s, they made stuff too. They made a live action TV series I'd never heard of. Oh, yeah, I ran on MTV. Yeah, and it lasted like six seasons. Never heard of it. And they, and then in 2009, they even Nike made this Teen Wolf brand shoe. <laughs> so that's how popular it is. So despite its mixed reviews, I think it's kind of latched into popular culture. But have they made a Broadway musical like Back to the Future? Hmm? <laughs> Maybe not yet. <laughs> that's what I want to yeah. see, the Teen Wolf musical. Yeah, that might be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my pick. I, I get a kick out of that movie. Okay, for my first pick, you did mention Porky's. And this particular film, Roger Ebert, when he gave it a review, he said... Uh, the movie is another one of those adolescent sex romps, such as Porky's and Animal House, in which part of the humor comes from raunchy situations and dialogue. Uh, 
So Roger Ebert did not like this film, but a lot of people did because it did really well. And that's called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I actually disagree with that review. And it does have like that kind of childish comedy, but there's also like really intelligent, serious issues to deal with. Like, for example, you've got Jennifer Jason's Jennifer Jason Lee's character who um, gets pregnant and she actually and she goes and has an abortion. And like, that's a pretty serious subject matter to be dealing with in a teen comedy. Of course, we all know the the iconic scene of Phoebe Cates getting out of the swimming pool mm. and Judge Reinhold rubbing one out in the bathroom and <laughs> you know, Sean Penn's uh, Spicoli character, which is kind of annoying because he kind of always gets top billing in the film uh, because it was kind of a breakout performance for him. But I actually, I, I think Judge Reinhold's the more interesting character. I mean, Sean Penn's just your typical stoner type character, but they give him a lot of fun lines and it has just great people in it. You've got Ray Walston as Mr. Hand, the teacher, and the bits with him and Spicoli are just hilarious. And uh, Nick Cage actually makes his film debut in this. Uh, it, it, yeah. So it's got all these like great stuff. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's in it, for example. And uh, it's got a great soundtrack. It's got songs by the Go-Go's on there. It, and, oh, and I should mention. Written by Cameron Crowe, of course, who we all know, and directed by Amy Heckling, who later went on to make Clueless. I didn't know this till I did my research, but the version I saw definitely is not the version that you can get now. Um, the Criterion Collection came out with a virgin version, and they re-added scenes that were originally cut from the 80s version, which involved like a full-on nudity of one of the guys in the film during that sex scene with um, Jennifer Jason Lee's character. And uh, they actually show him more in the buff in that as well, which would have gotten it an NC-17 rating or whatever it would have been back in the 80s. I don't know if that NC-17. Because when dudes are naked, yeah. it's NC-17, right? Yeah. If, yeah. You show, if you show cock and balls, that's it, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's over. You're, you're just making porn. That's all. That's <laughs> like, it's, women, if they don't do it, we're not going to get that R that we need. And that's the thing. You need an R rating in that area. So mm-hmm. if kids know, I'm not going to go see that movie that my aunt wants me to see. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Mom's not going to drop me off to see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing is like, yeah, it is an R rated film, but I think it's a great teen comedy. I mean, you don't need to be a full on adult to watch this film. I think it's got some hilarious bits, especially a lot of the judge Reinhold stuff. And um, absolutely love this film. I, I mean, it's amazing. It's only like around 90 minutes long and yet it's got more than the average six episode miniseries Netflix runs for what goes on characters and stuff. My second choice is Risky Business that stars this very obscure actor named Tom Cruise, who I, I think he might still be working somewhere, but you know, who knows, probably st- stringing along, doing craft services <laughs> or, you know, some commercials with Joe Namath and Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Walker, I think. Um, <laughs> and so this, this was his first big role uh, for Tom. He previously had done like The Outsiders where he was one of the greasers and he uh, had a small but crucial role in endless love where he plays the guy who tells Brooke Shields, his boyfriend, go ahead, burn down Brooke Shields, family's house and act like the hero. I mean, this was, you know, nobody expected Tom to explode this big. And he did. It's a, it takes place in Chicago, uh, which a lot of films from this era do like bad boys and uh, all the, you know, the John Hughes movies, y'all know. Now, when it comes to Risky Business, uh, Paul Brickman was the director who also wrote it. And he previously, all he had done was uh, Jonathan Demi's Citizen Band. And one of my favorite films as a kid 
Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. That's the one where they go to the Astrodome and the Let the Kids Play chant happens. So that, those are his two things. And then he comes out with the script, which he wants to direct. And he made what, what I consider the most gorgeous art film for an 80s teen film. It's you, you put it on and it's so different from everything else you'll see from this era. Now, I was told he actually fired two camera guys in the middle of making it because he wanted his vision up there because it's this dreamlike feeling for a lot of it when you watch it. The story takes place uh, where, where Tom's character, Joel, he, his parents have gone away for, for a bit of time and they've left him. He's in high school, his senior year, and they left him the keys to the house, the keys to the Porsche. And he's having fun, and his buddies are played by, of course, Curtis Armstrong, best known as Booger from the Revenge of the Nerds <laughs> films, and uh, Bronson Pinch Pinchot, uh, best known as a Balky in uh, Perfect Strangers. So Curtis ends up at one point deciding, you need to do more than the stupid stuff you're doing. So, uh, you know, he's dancing around his underwear. He's taking the car out to drive like a maniac for in a parking lot. Uh, you know, all the good stuff. But Curtis wants him to go a little bit what say what the heck and uh he calls up and hires a hooker uh for 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 joel uh and of course uh, the wrong kind of hooker shows up for joel not what he was expecting but that hooker gives him the number of another woman who might be more his type and unfortunately uh she is his type completely and things go really bad because he doesn't quite have enough money to cover and then the hookers her and her friends decide they're going to hide out at the family house uh, away from Guido, the killer pimp, but Joel, you know, and Joel dreams of going to Princeton. And yet at the same time, here he is uh, having to deal with an unexpected bill, which he decides to make, make up the money to, that needs to pay for, I'm not going to give away kind of what happened, but uh, he, he turns the house into a brothel for one night and has all his <laughs> friends come over and they bust out their birthday money. Now I recommend if you watch the film, you need to get all the Blu-ray so you can see the original ending that Paul Brickman did. Because the movie you see that's playing currently on HBO Max has this happy, charming, happy-go-lucky, cute ending mm -hmm. with Paul and uh, Rebecca De Mornay, you know, joking and oh, they're walking by the water and they're joking about their future. And, and it goes completely against the whole film, but it works as a happy date movie, oh. which is, you know, what people wanted because how else are you going to take a date to go see a film about a guy, who, you know, sets up a, a brothel at his family's house? But Brickman originally had a script, the ending, which you can see as the bonus feature on the Blu-ray. He goes to eat dinner with her, which is part of the movie. But instead of, uh, you know, going off on this happy-go-lucky walk, it gets intense. Paul, basically, because at the beginning of the film, she says, I don't want to pimp. She doesn't mind hanging out with him, but she doesn't want to pimp. And at the end of that dinner, not to give it away completely, he becomes her pimp. He just controls her in such a way in a public place that, you know, he's in charge at this point. Sure, he's going to Princeton, but, you know, it's it, it makes it more because there's the line at the end, which gets used in the, uh, the, the new ending where he says, my, my name is Joel. I deal in human fulfillment. I grossed over $8,000 on one night. Ain't life grand. It, it, it's more chilling in this version. And you get the idea, Joel is going to go off to Princeton and he's going to be one of those guys who comes up with the horrible insanity of just, you know, 1099 workers for everything. He probably runs one of those headhunting agencies where we just hire you for, you know, work, piecework and stuff 
because that's what he's done. He's be, he, he's he's been able to merge the pimp mentality with the Ivy League future, and uh, it's it's a chilling ending, and I love it. Unfortunately, as I said, Brickman uh, didn't get his ending, and it crushed him. He only did one, basically one more movie as a director, and that took I think that came out like 1990. So he just did, you know, he was busted because he couldn't finish his film the way he wanted to. And you feel for him. And it's just, you know, if it was in French, it would have won the Oscar. <laughs> yeah. You haven't dipped into 80s movies if for some reason, I don't know why, but you haven't seen this. You, you, Tom Cruise, Risky Business, it's got to be, you know, one of the top, top five essential views. Uh, all right, Jamie. My next one's called License to Drive. It, this didn't get good critical reviews, and I can understand why, but, but I like it anyway because it's got our two Corys, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, and the beautiful Heather Graham. So Corey Haim's character, Les, he, he, wants, he wants to impress Heather, whose character is named Mercedes, by you know driving, picking her up and taking her out in his grandpa's like sweet car, right? But he, he doesn't pass his driver's test, <laughs> But I guess there's some kind of a computer glitch where they say, okay, you did or something like this. He takes his grandpa's 72 Cadillac sedan DeVille and he picks up Mercedes and she ends up getting kind of drunk, like really drunk. And they dance on the car and like break the hood and all this. And she's too slosh. So they, I don't know, they eventually like put her in the trunk. That's eighties movies. Like drunk chicks are always in the trunk for some reason. But they go, but they're like, you know, we're going to just keep, he, he goes to his buddy, uh, Corey Feldman's character and, but he's kind of a troublemaker. So they, they keep going, going on joy rides and they damage the Cadillac more. And it's just kind of this dumb, you know, angst about, oh, can I get my license? And then the next thing, you know, I'm, I'm going on a joy ride in my grandpa's car and wrecking it and doing all this craziness. It's really a stupid movie, but but I I like it because I like the Corys and I like Heather Graham. And, you know, it, it's also kind of funny, like you just don't see teen movies like this anymore where the biggest deal is like, am I going to get my driver's license? You know, that's like that's like a big deal for 80s kids. I don't know about today. Maybe they just don't care that much. But back then it was like, oh, am I going to pass my driver's test? Because then I can impress the girl by picking her up and my grandpa's sweet caddy. I think what I realized as I was doing the book was that, yeah, there's still teen stuff. There's, I mean, there's still teen actors working, but because of streaming and, and cable and networks, all this stuff is funneled into shows or the CW, you know, some CW. Show. Yeah. Like shows, yeah. TV shows. Right. Yeah. And the teen movies you do see are usually like super deep, right? It's not the Corey's yeah. hanging out with Heather Graham kind of wrecking a 72 caddy. Now it's like, Oh, I'm really exploring my deep emotions and as my, and my teen angst and like really heavy shiznit. Right. And I'm like, dang, back, back in the eighties, teen movies were kind of fun. They were just kind of stupid and fun. Um, that's what I miss about it. But I think you're right. They're more like shows nowadays. The stupid fun stuff. I mean, but the thing was a lot of them, even if they were stupid fun at the top, you, you realize that there was something underneath it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nowadays it seems like you have to sell the hard intent. You know, and you're right. You have, you have to sell. I remember, oh, there was some movie, you know, book smart, I guess. I, I saw that a while ago, but the two, the two high school girls, the nerd things, but you've got to force it so hard on the top now that you don't think there's fun below it. 
Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of not a good feeling as a kid, I, I would say. So that that's my, and again, this didn't get good reviews, but I like it. I like the Corey's. I like Heather Graham. I like stupid teen movies. So this is a good one for me. And any, <laughs> any chance to reunite the Lost Boys without Yeah, Arms that's right. Good. Exactly. And any chance to, you know, have a look at Heather Graham, I'll, I'll take it. Even a teenage Heather Graham there, Jamie? It was, well, I wasn't a teenager at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, or I was, but well, I was a kid at the time, so it's fine with me to say that now, I guess maybe uh, whatever. <laughs> Screw you guys. Well, so it's Go on to your it's next not that one, dirty Milo. of a movie, you know, it's not actually, you know, it's, not, it's not dirty. Yeah. She's just a cute she's girl. Cute. And she's cute. It's not like the early years of boogie nights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is what she yeah. grew up in. Mercedes grew up to boogie nights. To be a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she yeah. she ended happened. up in dr- drunken trunks for other reasons. Yep. yep exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, my last film is called One Crazy Summer, directed by Savage Steve Holland. So Savage Steve Holland and John Cusack previously made a film together called, um, oh, what was it called? Um, I want to Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead. That's, I, Better it off. had something to do with dying in it. Better Off Dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made this film after that, actually. And it follows John Cusack, who is Hoops McCain, a um, not very good basketball playing cartoonist. And him and his friend go off to Nantucket Island. And they meet a girl on the way in the guise of Demi Moore, who's a musician. And there they decide to help Demi get her family's house or keep her family family's house because you know the evil developers want to take it over and turn it into something because it's one of those kind of movies uh and Demi actually sings in this and sings pretty well it's total cheesy 80s song but it is her actually singing which is an interesting little tidbit there so in order to get the money to rebuild the or to keep the house they enter a boat race but of course they don't have a boat so they team up with a bunch of misfits in the form of bobcat goldwaith who is a total 80s bobcat with his behavior and acting and performance and a few others and they um take a boat that is wrecked on the beach. They turn it into a boat for the race. And I'm going to spoil the ending for you. They end up winning the race. No. So, I know. Sorry, what? guys. In an 80s teen flick, they yeah. win at the end. They win at the end. Uh, you get a great boat building montage out of it. it. It's kind of your typical, it's a total stereotypical 80s teen flick. It, it's kind of fun. And it's got these little cut bits where John Cusack's uh, creating his uh, cartoon. And so it kind of cuts to the cartoon and it, and it kind of follows along with the film. So it starts off with this uh, hippopotamus looking for love or rhinos- rhinos- rhinoceros, rhinoceros looking for love and comes across these cute and funny bunnies and the bunnies are jerks to him. So he kills them all. It's very typical very 80s teen comedy uh, but has a lot of funny little moments in it and fun scenes that i think make it work i'm going for it it's my choice whether you like it or not i, I like it by the way uh, joel murray's in it he plays george calamari yeah and an interesting <laughs> fact that him and bobcat teamed yes. up 25 years later to make one of the great movies God bless America, which I totally recommend. Yes. Running out and grabbing also as a, you can watch both films back to back as a double feature. Bob Cat Goldwith, I've said it before on this podcast, is a brilliant filmmaker. And uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's such, and what's interesting, Demi sings one of the songs and then another song she does, they have, uh, she's doing a track to it too. 
but she did she did sing and she was uh she she did have her own little musical moment and at least uh uh i believe a demo tape and stuff where they tried to shop her around mm. but uh never quite got the same boost in her careers like phoebe cates i believe has a record out so and a couple other actresses were able to get records out during that time she never got her one hit wonder like eddie murphy no party all the time party all the time or her ex-husband bruce willis yeah actually demi's original boyfriend at that time also was in a band i want to say they're called the new cats or something (laughs) and she is in the video the mtv video that uh that ran where she's dancing around but she doesn't sing she's just dancing around in it but it is it it is a glorious little and and rich Little's also in, in One Crazy Summer. That's the thing. It's got so many like people in it that you're like, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. I know that person. John, John Cusack, even though he hooked up with uh, Savage Steve Holland for that film again, uh, he, they, he hated working with him, yeah. supposedly, because he was so upset at how Better Off Dead came, was getting reviewed. And he thought, you know, what am I doing back with this guy? But I guess A is a real trooper and B, you don't want to get sued for backing out of a contract. He, he showed up and did uh, Hoops anyway. And it's a shame because those are two great films with those They're two both guys. good films, absolutely. Uh, all right, Joe, before we head out of here, do you want to tell people where they can track you down if they want to track you down or pick up your books? Um, you can pick up the books. The books are on Amazon. Uh, as I said, Obscuricon's 80s Teen Flick Festival Guidebook. Or you can give us a uh, at Twitter at uh, actually the best probably is the publishing house, the at Josie Alma Press. That's J-O-S-I-E. A-L-M-A Press. So thanks again for having me here. It's been fun to talk about the films. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's great to have you here as well, especially with as as much as you obviously know on the subject. So that's fantastic. And of course, 80s and 90s Uncensored listener audience, you can find us on the social media at the 80s and 90s com or on the web at the 80s and 90s.com. And with that, we will say we are out of here like the 80s teen movie funny, but wouldn't make it past the modern audience's sensibilities. Goodbye.